Hey everyone, I'm Yasmin Nori, and you're listening to the Behind Her Empire podcast. I'm on a mission to showcase successful self-made women who share honest stories and lessons of what it really takes to create the life you want and build your own empire. If you've been listening to the show, you know, just like you, I've been on my own personal journey to build my empire. I've recently started a new business called Bia that helps women tackle their period problems and hormonal imbalances using a natural whole foods approach. If you're suffering from extreme cramps, irregular periods, fatigue, bloating, stay tuned because a little bit later in the podcast, I'll share a bit more about my company, Bia. But for now, let's jump into today's episode. I want to welcome this week's guest, Lisa Sequino, to our show today. Lisa is the co-founder and CEO of JLo Beauty and Lifestyle, a brand she founded alongside Jennifer Lopez that is focused on making self-care more simple with high-performance products that deliver incredible results for an inner and outer glow at any age. Although Lisa is a beauty veteran, her path was anything but straightforward. She always had a love for beauty, but wasn't sure how to make it into a career. She had plans to be an attorney, ended up dropping out of law school, and found a sales job that introduced her to the world of business. She spent eight years at Procter & Gamble, then ultimately got her dream job at Estee Lauder as an executive at Tom Ford Beauty. After spending nearly a decade at Estee Lauder and running their brands in North America, Lisa started questioning everything in life and was feeling unfulfilled despite having an incredible career. We talked to Lisa about how she garnered the courage to leave her corporate career, the questions she asked herself along the way, and how turning 40 was a huge wake-up call for her both personally and professionally. We also discussed what no one tells you about transitioning from a corporate career to a more entrepreneurial path and the skills you need to let go of as well as learn in order to be successful. Lisa also shares a behind the scenes look at her serendipitous meeting with JLo, what it's like to work alongside her and the passion they both have for creating a business that makes women feel confident, empowered and beautiful both inside and out. Welcome to the show, Lisa. Thank you so much for having me. I'm thrilled. This is our first in person for the year. So I'm excited. I know we chatted last year when you just moved to LA over Zoom and I got to meet you, but I know there's so many people who are listening in today that are going to resonate with your journey, your background. So I am super honored to have you here and I can't wait to jump into it. Thank you. Me too. And thank you for having me as your first physical guest this year. I love it. It's an honor. So looking at you from the outside, it feels like grit has played such a major role in your career and your success. I'm curious from your perspective, do you think that grit is something that people have or don't have? And do you think somebody can learn it. Hmm. I think everyone has grit in some way or another. I think some people it comes easier to than others. And I think some people learn it sometimes the hard way. Yeah. But I think grit's really important as it relates to just having a better sense of self and knowing your self-worth and your strength, whether it's business, personal, friendship, relationships, just having resilience and having that grit and the ability to roll up your sleeves and not being afraid to to do things and doing them differently or failing, I think is a very important characteristic. I love that. And I think, you know, what you said in terms of, you know, some people might have it, but it's something that you can learn. And I know in your life, and we'll get into it a little bit later, you know, you've gone through so many ups and downs in your life and you continue to. And I think someone like you who pushes through it, just you develop the grit in that way and it only is beneficial for you. But let's start with the beginning. You know, you've mentioned you've always been working from when you were around 12 and you've always had the desire to make money. I'm curious, where did that desire to make money come from? You know, I think it came from my dad in the sense that my dad was an entrepreneur. He had a traditional job when I was very small, and then he took the leap very early on. I think I was five or six to start his own company. So I saw that risk-taking, and I saw the reward of him starting a company and really being self-made. And I started to learn very easily, like, if you work hard, then things will come, or you can it opens up doors. So I've always been the type of person where if I want to do something, I just do it. And I think, frankly, that characteristic kind of scared people like my mom who, you know, (laughs) didn't know what to do with me sometimes. But I I think for me, it was like, hey, I want to go do something and how do I do it? And for me, it was working and earning my own money. So I've always had in my own conscious, like the ability to kind of set my own path, Mm -hmm. which I think is really important, especially now for young kids. Like I look at my son who's five and I want him to have that self-worth, that self-confidence and the ability to kind of have control over his own destiny. 
Yeah. And I'm curious, like, I think about that a lot. We don't have kids yet, but like, how do you teach something like that to your kids? Are you doing anything specific to kind of teach them the value of hard work or like doing something and earning money or those rewards? How do you think about that? So my husband thinks I'm crazy. But (laughs) but when my son was four and I was still living in New York, it was like a summer Friday and I wasn't working as much. And, you know, we decided we were driving in our neighborhood and these little kids were starting a, they had a lemonade stand and my son said, mommy, what is that? I said, oh, it's a lemonade stand people buy. And and he's like, well, I want to do that. So we made a juice bar and, you know, we spent the whole afternoon building this juice bar and, you know, he made like $70 and we got him like a little lockbox. And, you know, we were at dinner that night talking about, okay, what did we learn today? And he's like, oh, I made $70 and it's uh, two juices are really popular. And my, you know, our customer, all the girl, the high school girls were my big customer. And I said, look, bud, you started a business. And, you know, I thought it was just like a moment that we did that was fun and we did it together. But even now, now a year later, he's like, well, mommy, you know, I have a business and I need to think about my juice stand in California. So I think it's about taking the time to teach children the value of hard work. Mm -hmm. And I think it's important, especially as a mother, to show that as an example, whatever I do is working hard and making sure that, you know, he knows that I'm dedicated just as much as I expect him to be dedicated in anything that he does. I think it's just leading by example and staying close to, to that and making sure your example that you're leading is one that you'd want to see and you'd want somebody to follow. And I love that you kind of give him the confidence with his business. And it just reminds me, like when I was younger, I was so entrepreneurial. I joke. I was like, I probably was so more successful back then than I am now. I had a bunch of businesses. And one thing that my parents did was just take me very seriously like you. My dad's entrepreneurial. He would question me. My mom would support me. And I just think a lot about that because I think it really instilled the confidence in and the hard work aspect. So there's a lot of things that resonate in your story with mine. And I think that's super pivotal. So just seeing you doing that with your child is is amazing. So, you know, I want to also now talk about why you dropped out of law school. But before we even go into that, you know, what made you want to be a lawyer if you're this entrepreneurial daughter, you have this mm-hmm. father that's, you know, supporting you. So where did you wanting to be an attorney come from? You know, I had the fortune of being able to go away to college, which, you know, was very important to my dad for me to be able to do that. He went to a city college, he put himself through it, and he really wanted me to experience something bigger and better. And, you know, always as a young child, you know, my dad would always talk about being a lawyer is such a great thing. And, you know, I think intellectually it made sense because it was challenging and you had the ability to help people or make a difference. And I think that's what attracted me to it. I think the thing that made me not as attracted to it was like the idea of not really being in the business or in the problem was really kind of being on the side. At least I perceived it that way. Yep. Now, shame on the legal community for not, you know, showing different paths of law because I think, you know, I have amazing friends who are lawyers who do awesome things in and outside of law. But at the time, I felt like I wanted to do something differently or do something bigger Mm -hmm. and being part of a business and shaping that, not just being the person in the room to keep someone out of jail or to guide you know, a legal document. I just found it boring. And I think part of it was being naive and part of it was having a restlessness in me at at a very young age to say, hey, you know, I want to do something differently. Mm -hmm. So I chose a different path and it was a very unpopular decision at the time, especially with my parents, but they got over it and I moved on. I mean, that's huge. It's funny because my dad also pushed me to be an attorney. Mm -hmm. And I'm thinking like when you have a daughter who's just opinionated and motivated, like do you just tell them to be a lawyer because you don't want them to like you know, being an entrepreneur, they see how tough it is. And they probably don't want us to go right into that. But I didn't take the LSAT. I like pushed back on my dad. I'm like, this is not, you know, the path that I wanted to do. I majored in business law, but you took the LSAT. Like you went to law school. That That's a lot of work right there. So, you know, props to you to drop out and like really follow your gut. But you mentioned, you know, your family wasn't happy. How did you kind of deal with their expectations? Or did you really know yourself at the time that you kind of just went forward with what you thought was the right thing to do? I didn't know what the right thing was to do. You know, part of me is like, I never really want to fail at anything. But the other part was like, okay, I really need to use this time to figure out what I want to do. So I threw myself into an opportunity where I was, you know, working at a startup. I took kind of some of the legal experience I had, took a sales position. I feel like, I guess through many parts of my life, I when I don't know what to do, I throw myself into a challenging situation to see kind of what comes out. I don't know why I naturally do that. but And it actually showed me that I I was much better at seeing opportunities and then figuring out leveraging relationships or finding new ways to solve problems or see bigger things. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I, I used it as a place where I, I needed to kind of find out who I was and 
I moved to New York City and I didn't have much money. And that also required some creativity as far as how to pay the rent and do all that. So I I guess I, I put myself out on my own a little bit. And I think it forced me to figure things out quicker than if I would have came home and just wallowed in my own existence, which is so not me. So I, you know, I made a decision and then I actioned it. And I know you've talked about, you know, even when you were in law school, you're like, I didn't see other ways to use law and, and different opportunities. And I know you've also felt that way about beauty, right? Like you always loved beauty, but you never really knew the right path to get into there, nor could it even be a career. So when did that light bulb moment kind of come in your brain? Mm. So I always loved beauty, right? I was always passionate about beauty ever since being a young kid. And I remember my grandmother in Brooklyn, like painting my nails red. And I loved every minute of it. I just, I loved that, you know, glamour. And, but again, I never knew how to make that a career. Mm -hmm. So I followed, you know, a sales path. I went to go work at Procter & Gamble. You know, I worked in their healthcare division. Digestive wellness was very unsexy. And I learned a lot along the way that actually could contribute to beauty. I didn't realize at the time Mm. learning about the consumer, learning about business models, you know, product development, all the things. And then when I finally saw an opportunity to be in beauty when I was at Procter & Gamble and to move back to New York and do all that, it kind of clicked for me to say, wow, like I know all the kind of fundamentals of the business Mm. and I have the passion. This is where I belong. And I don't think I would have gotten there unless I did take that path. Mm -hmm. You know, I have a lot of friends that have worked in beauty their whole careers who have gone through different avenues. And while each path is their own, I think in beauty, we still in this day, it's 2023, we still don't do a good job as an industry, whether it's beauty, fashion, et cetera, of educating people about how difficult this business really is Mm. and what it takes to be successful in this business. And, you know, I find a very big responsibility as I look at young talent and I recruit people and I mentor, you know, really to give them, push them to experience different things in order to make them stronger as leaders. Because I don't think we do a good job of that, of sharing how difficult it is and then also giving people opportunity. Yeah. So, you know, I think that's important because I I feel like there's a lot of people that might be listening that are in a, a specific role and they're like, you know, I'm not in my dream job. Like for you, you know, you were in healthcare digestibles. We'll talk about that experience because I have a lot of questions when you move to Ohio. But I think it's important because all these different experiences that you're doing in your life, it will only set you up for where you're supposed to go. And you ultimately will land on your passions, like similar to me, right? I've had such a varied background. I mean, I've worked, If it's just hilarious how many industries I've worked in, but it's only benefited me now that I'm like now in wellness and even with this podcast. So I'm just reiterating your journey because I feel like sometimes people get anxiety around I'm not on the right path and it's so far away from what I want to do. But the fundamentals and the skills that you learn in any position only benefits you. So like the more varied your experiences, I think it's a great thing. And I know you look for that for hiring. Now I look for that. So I think it's it's a huge benefit. So let's go back to Procter & Gamble, right? So you moved to Ohio and you've been quoted to say that was one of the toughest years in your career. So tell me more, like what was going on for you at the time? So I find that like the younger you are, the easier it is to make decisions that you don't really think about the ramifications of. And thank God for my 24-year-old self because yeah. I had decided to take an opportunity when I was working at Procter & Gamble to go to their headquarters in Cincinnati and work in their digestive wellness team. They had been looking to launch a bunch of different digestive wellness products, and they needed somebody who had worked with the influencers, healthcare influencers or creators, now we call them, at the time, who were really doctors, thought leaders, et cetera, who had that experience and could help advise how do you take the basically the community of experts and use that to influence a product launch and to seed that product and drive advocacy towards it. So mm-hmm. I thought, great, I know how to do this. I know the doctors in New York. I can help the team. And you know, and what happened was I came to Cincinnati and it really was more of like a brand management position where you were involved in creating product, you know, the in, from inception to execution. So mm-hmm. formulation, packaging, concept, consumer insight, finance, supply chain, R&D. I knew none of that. Wow. Okay. I had no skill set. I couldn't even read a PL. I walked in there and I was like, I'm in way over my head here. And I had just moved to Cincinnati. I was with my husband, who was my boyfriend at the time. Did he move with you? He did. Okay. And I was like, I came home, I remember, and just saying to my husband, like, I made such a big mistake. Like, I don't know what I'm doing. I don't know why I'm here. And I'm probably going to lose my job in three months. And it was one of those instances where I was like, okay, I can either go home, back to New York, or I can suck it up and learn. And I did. And Mm -hmm. part of it was 
being honest and vulnerable. And I can say this now at the age of 40, but like in the past, like being vulnerable and, you know, being the youngest person there and not Mm. knowing that takes a lot of guts and building relationships with people that were willing to help you. So Mm. who knew that my very tenured R&D lead who no one spoke to, but was an expert, helped me learn how to make a product. And who knew that the head of supply chain was going to give me five minutes to learn how to do an SIOP plan. Mm -hmm. So really being vulnerable and asking for help, but also being a good student and really learning was what I did. And it was hard. It was really hard for two years. Like, I didn't know what the hell I was doing. Mm -hmm. But I started to kind of connect the dots to the point where I was like, okay, now I know. And now I know enough to be dangerous in the sense that I feel confident enough to go apply for a beauty job in New York within Proctor. So Mm -hmm. it was the best experience I ever had in my career in the sense of building the skill set. Yeah. But also putting yourself in a situation, which in that point I thought was high risk, like I'm going to lose my job. And also like challenging myself that I wasn't the best, I was the worst person in the room. Mm. And that was a very hard thing for me, a type A overachiever to do. So I guess my advice to people that would be listening to think like, okay, like what experiences do I need? But like I always tell people, put yourself in the most difficult situation Mm. and see if you can sink or swim. And usually like 99% of people will swim. Yeah. And that's a very hard thing for people who don't like to feel uncomfortable. But, yeah, you know, I, I recently joined YPO, the Young President's Organization, which is a global network of all CEOs and business leaders. And one of the principles that we have is putting yourself in vulnerable situations. Mm. And that's what you learn the most about yourself. Yeah. So I truly believe in them. And it was great for me personally and professionally. Hey, everyone. It's Yasmin here. I wanted to tell you a quick story. Before I started this podcast, I was working extremely long and crazy hours in banking and then in tech. I was totally burnt out, not living my truth and dreaming of always building my own empire. With all of this stress, it came really debilitating periods from bloating, cramping, extreme breast tenderness, and really unpredictable moods. I would always complain to my friends that I was literally out of commission for at least a week every single month. And that adds up to three months in every year. Other than feeling frustrated that my really bad periods were keeping me from pursuing my actual goals, I knew that something wasn't right. Women are not inherently designed to suffer every single month. That's when I learned about hormonal imbalances. I started working with functional medicine doctors who told me that years of stress combined with taking birth control pills long-term created a cascade of hormonal damage in my body. This is why I felt bloated, tired, crampy, and moody before and throughout my period. They recommended I try something called seed cycling. And let me tell you, it's changed my life. Seed cycling is the simple process of using food as medicine to naturally support your hormones. It uses four different types of seeds, yes, actual seeds, throughout your menstrual cycle to support the balance of hormones like progesterone and estrogen and give your body critical nutrients it needs to achieve your best health. Within weeks of starting this process, I noticed major shifts in my period and my overall health. But I also noticed that seed cycling is actually kind of hard to do. I wanted the best quality seeds freshly ground in the right amount, but it was very time consuming. So I decided to create a simple and effective way for anyone to start seed cycling today using the highest quality organic seeds in the right amounts with the right support. It's called Bia, and I'm so excited to bring it to you. Now, anyone struggling with hormonal imbalances can easily incorporate seed cycling into their busy schedule with the Bia Seed Cycling Bundle. This process has been life-changing for me. I no longer deal with cramps, bloating, breast tenderness, or any other PMS symptoms before my period. It's been a complete game changer, and it's allowed me to focus on things that matter most to me, like this podcast and building my own empire. And most importantly, I want this for you too. If you or anyone you know has been struggling with hormonal imbalances or bad periods, go to beawellness.com slash free. Once again, it's beawellness.com slash free to download our free guide to our top tips in tackling hormonal imbalances and to learn more about our seed cycling bundle. We included this link in the show notes along with a promo code for $10 off for all of our Behind Her Empire listeners. I know you're going to love seed cycling just as much as I do. Thanks for listening listening. And now let's get back to the show. Yeah. And I think that's really pivotal because 
I have so many thoughts to kind of unpack. I'm just thinking through which one it touched because it definitely resonates with me. But what you mentioned about kind of setting your ego aside and taking that leap. And as you know, we're both high achievers. I'm sure if you're listening to this podcast, you are for sure a high achiever. You know, taking that at the time, what feels like a step back and not knowing anything is so tough. But like you said, it's actually really important. And, you know, similar to you, like I was in banking for six years. I developed like a really good network, really good career. And I left it to go into tech. And I, I knew nothing. Someone took a bet on me. And I'm so grateful for that. And similar to you, like I was working like crazy. It was one of the most, I didn't think I could work more than banking and I was, but that experience was so formative in my career. And I think it made it easier to eventually launch a business where I don't know anything like right wellness. You partner with the right people, you figure out your gaps, but I have the confidence that with hard work, I can figure it out. And I feel like you have that as well, right? Yeah. I mean, you had to, right? Yeah. So I think once you go through an experience like that, yeah. You never lose it. It sticks mm-hmm. with you. Yeah. And so you get that kind of impossible is nothing mentality. And that's what makes you very powerful. Yeah. You know, I joke with my husband. I'm like, if things went wrong one day, I could still go back. You know, I was to waitress when I was a teenager. Like, yeah. I would still waitress and bartend. He's like, Lisa, I think you're a little beyond that at this point. <laughs> but I love the fact that you still think about like the worst came to worst. You could still generate money. He's like, I think you can. I think you're okay. Yeah. But that's still the mentality I have. Yes. Even today, I think about that. Yeah, I love that. But it's like a confidence factor. Mm -hmm. And I think that gives us the confidence to make these scary leaps, you know, like leaving a career. I mean, you were a beauty executive for much longer than I was in corporate. And that's not easy to leave, right? To to jump into something. So having that like plan B, C, D, E, F, like it's just nice. And it's just nice to know that your worst case scenario is actually not that bad. And I know that sounds super simple, but when I actually genuinely thought about that, when I took the risk, you know, I made money for all my life. And then you're taking the risk of not making as much money. You realize like the worst case scenario is not as bad as you think what you move in with your parents, Mm -hmm. right? Or you get another job or you waitress, Mm -hmm. like there are opportunities out there for you to feed yourself. But Mm -hmm. I love that you still kind of think about that. That is so interesting. Every day. Yeah. The hustle's real, guys. So, you know, I'm going to fast forward a little bit. So you mentioned, you know, you were at PNG. You ended up getting your dream job at Estee Lauder. You had an incredible career there. But when you turned 40, you started actually questioning everything in your life. So take us through some of those questions you were asking yourself, despite you being in this dream job of yours. Yeah. I mean, look, I was in the dream job. I was overseeing the brand portfolio for one of the biggest regions, if not the biggest region for the company. I had thousands of people under my direction, but I have to say I felt very empty. Mm. And why did I feel empty? Because I really love running a business and I felt, I think people say like it's lonely at the top, but I felt like I was going through motions versus building things, accelerating them, fixing them. And I said to myself, I could continue and, and, you know, maybe find a hobby or do something else and just, you know, move on. And, and, Again, the company was so good to me and I learned so much. It wasn't about the company. It was about me. Mm -hmm. And at the time, I said, you know, what am I doing? I have this little boy in my life. I have all these things ahead of me. Like, what do I want the next 40 years, 50 years to look like? And I really was thinking about what are the things that made me most happy professionally that I missed. And it was about being on a brand that, you know, was an idea and then launching it or going into a company and and starting with three people and building it to 300. Like I wanted Mm. to build again. And so that's when I really started thinking through COVID, okay, what am I seeing out there? I always come with ideas. Everywhere I look, I'm always like writing in the back of my notebook, oh, here's a business idea. Here's a business idea. Like I drive my husband crazy. (laughs) But I started thinking more and more like, okay, if I feel this way and I'm looking to be better and want to better myself and do something that's bigger and more challenging, like I bet you most other 40-year-old women want to do that. And then I started thinking like, well, okay, well, what beauty brands are actually serving these like powerful 40-year-old women who are at like peaking at their power and, you know, doing all these things? And I was like, nobody. Interesting. And so then I started thinking, well, maybe I'll start a brand. Maybe I'll start a company. And then it's kind of just spiraled from there. And I really – went on this journey to say like, what will make me happy? Mm. Is it the thrill of the corporate ladder or is it something bigger and taking a risk and, okay, what would that risk look like? Mm -hmm. 
And it's not like I thought about this on my own and then on a whim. It took like $5,000 worth of therapy. And, you know. I was going to ask, like, did you have a coach? Oh, or I had like a ther- therapist. Because yeah. I was like, what am I doing wrong? You know, what's wrong with me? Yeah. And she's like, no, nothing wrong with you. But you have to now think about, okay, keep thinking about this. Keep talking to yourself about it. Like, what could be the worst thing that happens? Mm. You know? And I was like, well, I don't know that I fail and I'll figure it out. And she's like, okay, well, if that's the worst thing, then go do it. Yeah. So then I came up, okay, well. What does that mean? And it was hard for me because I loved working at estate lawyer companies. I loved it and I loved the people and I mm-hmm. loved my team. But I knew that I wasn't really loving myself. Yeah. And then I had a I had to go take a step that I had never done before. Mm-hmm. So it was scary, but I felt like I was ready. Mm-hmm. And I'm very grateful for that. I mean, everyone talks about their own COVID experience, but for me, it allowed me to really do a lot of self reflection and to make a decision that I probably wouldn't have made mm. if that didn't happen. And I'm curious, how long? Were you feeling this emptiness and the unhappiness? Was it something you've kind of felt a little bit over the years and it just got louder and louder? Like, how has that transition been? No, I mean, I think I was just focused on like running. Like, I was always running and Mm. doing, right? Mm -hmm. I'm like, okay, let me go do this. Let me work on this brand. Let me take this challenge. Let me go do, do, do. Let me have my child. Let me go, you know. Yeah. And I I think it just forced me to take a step back Mm -hmm. and to be like, okay, now I'm grounded. There's really not where to go. And I started feeling a little bit more. Am mm. I happy doing this? Yeah. You know, am I happy sitting on a Zoom talking about this? Making it, or do I want to, you know, what are the things that are going to drive me? Yeah. And so I think, I don't think I was like super unhappy. It just kind of hit me like a ton of bricks and like it took me six months and I was like, okay, this is what I'm going to do. I love that. I love how quick you moved too. And I think it's so easy for so many people, like I've been there too, where you're just kind of hitting each milestone. If anything, I kind of joke with my husband. I look back, I'm like... I kind of miss those days because you kind of had a goalpost. Like when you're an entrepreneur, there's so many things you're tackling. And don't get me wrong, I am way more fulfilled, way happier now. But there's something very nice about like, this is what you got to do to get promoted. This is what you have to do to switch jobs and go here. Like when there's a goal, like I have no problem hitting it. But like you said, you hit all those goals. You were leading a massive team for SD Lauder. You had your kid, like you've done all those. And the stillness that COVID brought you just allowed you to reflect and I remember this coach, I think I saw her like years ago when I was figuring out, you know, what my path was. I was very confused, didn't know what the next step was. And she would always tell me, she's like, you need to just like go sit in the park and be still. I'm like, I don't know if you know me, but I don't know what that means. Like I, you know, even to this day, I'm a little bit more in tune with myself, but I still can't just like sit there in quiet. But I think it actually is very important because you start reflecting like, oh, what I'm doing, does it align? Does it make me, am I happy? I think just even asking that question, right? Mm -hmm. So I think like you going through that own journey, but also getting the help you need, whether it's a therapist, you know, whatever that may look like for you and then quickly pivoting. Mm -hmm. So did you have, I actually don't know this part of your career, but so you had this idea to support women in their forties who are hitting their peak. It's such an amazing time in their lives. Did you know exactly what your business wanted to be when you quit or no. So I, before I quit, I mean, I knew I wanted to to do something for women 30, 40, 50. Yeah. I knew I saw a white space, especially that I wanted to my company to reflect, you know, something that was fun, sexy, exciting, tailored to, you know, not the 18-year-old, but this like power 35, 40-year-old. And I didn't know if I wanted it to be in beauty or wellness mm. or fitness, but I knew I wanted to, to focus on that consumer. Yeah. Right. And back to my old PG days. Folk, who's your customer? So I was really thinking about it and I was writing about a bunch of ideas. And and through COVID, I mean, th- I think everyone had like tons of recruiters like calling them. There was like a big, you know, free for all as far as new jobs. And, mm-hmm. you know, I had a friend who called me about something else and she was going to LA. And I'm like, where are you going? <laughs> and she's like, oh, you know, I have, I'm doing something else. And, and she's like, oh, for Jennifer Lopez. And I was like, oh, cool. And I was like, oh, that stinks that it's in LA. I'm like, I would totally put my hat in the ring for that. And she's like, well, why don't you, you know, why don't you have a conversation? I'm like, I'll never move to LA. Meanwhile, (laughs) you and I are doing this interview in LA and I live in LA. Yeah. And I ended up, you know, speaking with Jennifer about beauty at first. And then we started talking about wellness and I shared, you know, my perspective on what I thought the consumer was doing and, you know, frankly, how I thought she aligned so well Mm. to representing what women aspire and inspire to be. And, you know, we started having a conversation and we had a few conversations and it just made sense to me that, wow, serendipitously, like this is where I belong. Mm. She and I had so many aligned ideas. We both thought huge, like we think so big. We 
both thought it was such an opportunity in the marketplace. She came from a very interesting perspective with an amazing track record. I came with an interesting perspective. We we just gelled and we were New York girls yeah. who understood where each other came from. And that yeah. was the other piece too. Like there mm. was no need to like, you know, it would sugarcoat anything. Mm. So I felt very comfortable and excited about this opportunity Mm -hmm. where I hadn't necessarily felt excited about any opportunity that had come my way. Interesting. And so for me, it was an automatic yes from the jump. Mm. I've never felt like that in my life. So I think because of the thinking and because of the decision I had already made to make that change in my life, I opened that opportunity. Whereas if I didn't make that decision, I wouldn't like, oh, it's in LA or, oh, it's this. And I would have never even been open to it. Yeah. So it definitely opened the possibility. And I think that's why this opportunity came to me and I ran with it. It's crazy. I mean, Mm -hmm. it seems like the perfect timing, the perfect fit, and we'll go into the business a little bit. But I think I love that you just making the space of knowing you wanted to do something different and giving yourself the time and the patience. And by happenstance, you know, your friend connected with Jennifer and connected you guys. And that seems like the perfect opportunity. And if you never took that risk and had the courage to make the leap, you wouldn't even know that this would even exist. And you wouldn't be in LA right now running the business with Jennifer. So Mm -hmm. I love that. Like, I mean, even for me, I kind to quit my my last career not knowing what my business was going to be but similar feel to you it's like I'm very passionate about women I knew I did I was doing this podcast it lit me up I'm like what can I do as a business to support women the momentum and like the reality just kind of presented itself my sister-in-law wanted to start a business I found great medical advisors and very similar story so it's like if you allow and truly want something and you keep your eyes open like you don't know what opportunities are in front of you and and timing of it I might have not been ready two three years ago so I love that so tell me I mean your friend connected with you with Jennifer so what was it like meeting her the first time were you intimidated like what did that even look like you know, I didn't know what to expect, yeah. to be honest, right? And and part of me was like, okay, like she's a person, like, you know, and I had worked with people in the past of, you know, certain celebrity and fame, not to this level, of course, but, you know, I just was myself mm. because I felt like I had nothing to lose. And, yeah. you know, through the greeting, it was very easy to see that we both were, like I said, New York girls that were very straight talking, right? And yeah. we got right down to it. And... I was very impressed by her in the sense of she knew what she was talking about. Mm -hmm. She was a founder and owner. She wasn't somebody that just, you know, put her face on something. Like you could tell by meeting her, this is the reason why she has had the track record and the career that she's had, right? Mm -hmm. But I was also impressed by, you know, she was really interested in learning what I had to say. Mm. And to me, that was very important if I was going to work with someone as a partner, that they were, you know, we had a complementary relationship. Yeah. And we were aligned, like I said, but then we also brought different things to the table. Mm -hmm. So it felt like a good partnership. Mm -hmm. And as we discussed and as we realized what made each other tick, we both loved big thinking. We both were talking about, like we say, the B, billions. Like we're talking billions here. Love it. And what will it take and how do we drive? And we talked about, you know, characteristics of that, like the relentlessness and, you know, big thinking and discipline and all the things that she naturally has and I naturally have but like coming together it just made such a it made such sense so it was very quickly mm-hmm. any nervousness or trepidation was diffused by the excitement yeah. of us coming together and really vibing mm-hmm. off the jump mm-hmm. so it was great and it was a lot of fun but you know through our meetings like you know when I came to her office in LA like you know, I remember her team was like, oh, okay, so should we do a brainstorming session I'm like we're not brainstorming I have a whole presentation I have a plan like I want to show you guys like I think we're both very action oriented. Sure. So there was no like middle ground. We met, we kind of fell in love with each other and then we got right down to it. Yeah. And that's the way we like to work. So it was a great experience. Yeah. But I I didn't know what to expect. But once I <laughs> but once I did meet her, you know, I quickly was super excited. And I'll tell you now, like she's the best partner boss I've ever had, you know, because she lets me do what I think is best, but she also challenges me to be better. And that's what we're all about as a company is being the better you. So I, I like to say, like, every day I, I, I do this, I feel very happy and very blessed and very excited. Like, there's no day that goes by that I don't work on this company, not because I'm a workaholic, because I'm yeah. so passionate and so excited about what we do every day. Yes, I love that. We'll talk a little bit more about that. But I'm curious, what are some ways that she's pushing you and challenging you? Jennifer is always talking about how we can be better, how we can be bigger. Mm. We both are, right? But, you know, 
thinking about doing things faster, thinking about doing things more impactfully. And I love that. That's what motivates me. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm kind of like a like a racehorse. You know, you see the racehorses and they're ready to go running yeah. out. Like I was ready to run. Like when I was in corporate, I was still in the paddocks. Like here I'm like running, running, running the Kentucky Derby like every day. <laughs> and I love it. Yeah. So she's just like that too. So that's contagious. And so as such, we've hired such an amazing group of people that are also like that. Yeah. So, you know, I had my exec team here, all of them this week. And you know, it's a lot of energy. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. like, I'm tired. Yeah. No, totally. <laughs> but that's the type of, of people we want at this company. And, you know, she and I have almost combusted in a positive way to, like, create that dynamic, yeah. which I never had before in any place I've worked. Mm-hmm. So That's so powerful. And I think sometimes – I think about this a lot. Like, I, you know, I love that she and how both of you guys really just think big. Because I think sometimes when you're running a business – and I have caught myself in this. You know, I have – so many aspirations. But when you're operating day to day, sometimes if I'm not in the right mindset and I think about like, all right, we're going to hit these amount of people, this is the amount of women I want to impact, sometimes I'll feel a little intimidated because it's such a big task. But I think there's time, like in time and place when I am zooming out and I block time off when I'm feeling good and excited, then I'm like, all right, let's put the strategy together. This is what we're going to do. But I've caught myself when I'm having a tough day, like there's a few operational stuff, not having that bigger mindset. I don't know if I'm saying this correctly, but have you, do you ever deal with that day to day? Because sometimes it's so intimidating because you're like, I know what needs to happen to get there, but it's clearly a lot of work too. So I think every day it's like a, a roller coaster, right? Yeah. So like you think big and you're like, okay, we could be, you know, this, 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 and this went really well. And you know, oh my God, you know, what happened here? And like, you know, and that's what I think makes you humble in the sense that you're only as good as the next day, Mm. right? And for entrepreneurs, like that's the addictive part, yeah, right? Like I think I would miss that if I wasn't doing this. But it is hard to think big all the time, right? Sometimes you have to get like what I was saying yesterday, like practical and tactical. Okay, how – and I drive my team crazy. I'm like, okay, now how are we going to do this? Exactly. But someone needs to ask that question, right? Right. Right. (laughs) So you go highs and lows, but I think it's also important to prioritize like keeping the vision and driving the company forward and then also kind of being able to get under the covers. Mm, So mm -hmm. like like a duck, right? Like the ducks are – very smooth on the top of the lake and paddling underneath. And that's kind of how you have to be when you're running a company. Totally. And it's important, I'm sure with time, you know, you build that muscle a little bit better kind of going between the two. But yeah, like being in the weeds and then zooming out and being the strategy visionary, it's it's so fascinating. But you're right, like that's what keeps it fun and keeps us humble mm-hmm. to your point, which mm-hmm. I love. So you mentioned something that I, I want to um, talk more about that, you know, you and Jennifer complement each other really well. Can you give us some examples? Because I think it's helpful for people who might be wanting to start a business with a co-founder. And I get a ton of questions around this. So I'd love to just kind of hear how you your working relationship together is? Mm. I think I always say like picking a a partner, co-founder is sometimes or probably harder than picking a spouse because, you know, you're so invested and you're so in it, yet you both need to play certain roles in order for it to work best. Mm. And when we've come together and, and we've had to make hard decisions, easy decisions, there's been like some key attributes that I think really make our partnership strong. One, transparency. Like there's no bullshit. Like it's very straight and we just say it like it is. Mm -hmm. Two, there's an expectation of commitment, which we're so committed and live it, eat it, breathe it every day. But then also like we welcome feedback, right? Like we welcome the challenge. And, you know, for example, if Jennifer's not happy with a product, whatever, like I take that very seriously. Mm -hmm. Or if, you know, I feel very strongly about something, she'll hear me out. So I think there's a level of trust Mm -hmm. and you also need to be able to grow together. Like not everything is going to be perfect and positive. You're going to have to figure things out or things will go wrong. I think it's about how you handle it and what role each partner is playing. Mm -hmm. But I, like I said, I feel very lucky to be partners with her because I don't think that's necessarily all cases. And I would say if you're looking to start a company with a partner, like don't make it a friend, right? Make it someone that's going to be complimentary to you and think about what roles you each will play and do you need that person? You know, and I say that because it's hard, mm-hmm. right? And you want to do your best for yourself and your team and you want to do the right thing by your partner. So I think it's it's very important yeah. 
yeah. to make sure you're defining like what roles and responsibilities and, and how it works. Mm-hmm. I think that's super important. And you saying it's tough to work with friends. So I've worked with family before I did my own business. And that was a huge learning opportunity. And I think one of the biggest things I learned is what you just talked about in terms of making sure the roles are very defined. And also when you're partnering up with someone, if you can have complementary roles. So I learned that from that experience, took that to now this business, and I work with my sister-in-law. So I was very like mindful about setting all that up and having all the transparent conversations because it can easily go the other way. Mm-hmm. Luckily, it didn't happen like that with my family, but I could see how that could happen. And really being clear on, you know, luckily her skill sets are not my skill sets and we're very different. And it's been just such an amazing working relationship. But I think going to your point of making sure your roles are very much defined and you're not stepping on each other's toes and allowing each person to kind of do their superpower is so important. And really like there's no emotional stress. You kind of get to like work on the business. It's the best partnership you can have. So I'm sure you and Jennifer, it seems like you guys have that as well. Yeah. And I think we've built a very strong partnership in a very short amount of time. So I'm super proud of that. Yeah, I love it. And so, you know, I'm sure you get this a lot, you know, People might think partnering up with JLo, you know, her brand is so well known that it's just going to be an instant success, right? And you have all the money in the world to support the business. Tell me more about the realities of what that looks like and maybe some of the challenges that you guys have experienced. Yeah, I think it's funny when people say to me, like, oh, yeah, yeah, like, how hard could your job be? I'm like, are you kidding me? (laughs) You know, I think any business that starts, right, and grows, like, you can grow many different ways. But for us, like, creating a beauty and lifestyle company or group of companies that really promised against, you know, being better and and giving products that work hard, feel good, make a difference. Like that's a big promise to your consumer. Yeah. And so you're not just putting a name on it. And that's why it took Jennifer so long to create this company because she was putting her name behind it and it needed to be efficacious and meaningful and look, feel and touch the consumer in a special way. Mm-hmm. So it's a big responsibility. Yes, Jennifer has tremendous awareness, tremendous followers, which we take, you know, I welcome that and we leverage it as much as we can and always finding new ways to leverage it. But at the end of the day, the brand needs to mean something for you as a consumer mm-hmm. and not just because it has a name on it. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I learned that very early on when I was running the Estee Lauder brand in North America. And, you know, I was had the fortune of going through the archives and learning who Mrs. Esther Lauder was. And she ultimately was one of the first women entrepreneurs at a time when mostly men were running companies. Yeah. And she was like a true kick-ass, like, girl boss. And I learned a lot about who she was. And then I realized when I was running the brand, I was like, well, we haven't really communicated that. Mm. And actually our core customer – was this woman who was doing it all. So like, how do you take the ethos of that and create something? But they didn't know who Mrs. Estelotter even was, but the brand had so much power Mm. that people still bought it and it was a multi-billion dollar company. So I took that concept to say like, even if people know who Jennifer is, I want them to know what our brand stands for and what it means to them. Mm -hmm. So that's where our focus was. And I think the other piece to answer your other part of your question is like, we both come from very self-made careers. We're also a self-made company. Like no one's like throwing you know, millions of dollars at us. Like we're making money, but we're also like very careful with every dollar we spent. Mm -hmm. And that mentality is really important. Like I always say to the team, like, okay, the name on the door, you know, don't tell vendors, like we're taking every offer, like negotiate every penny down because that's the difference between, you know, a really tightly run company Mm -hmm. or not. So that's the mentality that we have. And I'd say we work even harder than most brands to make sure that, you know, we're really being efficient in how we spend and how we plan our business and grow it. Yeah. And I know we talked about this last year, but obviously, you know, 2023 economies, you know, a little bit different this year. You know, how have you been more mindful about how you guys are growing the business? I know you keep a tight ship and you're Mm -hmm. all about the numbers, which I think is actually Mm -hmm. really important. So any shift in perspective around how you're kind of thinking about the business this year? I think for us, we're always conscious about, you know, how is the consumer spending? What does she want? No desire. I think knowing the customer very intimately and what motivates her, what are the friction points, et cetera, and solving those are continue to be top of mind. Leveraging our community and building out that, you know, organic demand and the community behind Jennifer and what our brand is about is always important. Being really efficient about, you know, acquiring our customers and treating them really well along the way. And creating products that are amazing. Like mm. we don't launch anything that's not up to that standard. So that those are principles that haven't really changed. I think for us, we're very mindful of observing how our customer is 
behaving and knowing what her world looks like. Yeah. But I've always said like any economical turns, like it always presents an opportunity, Mm -hmm. right? Beauty is very resilient in any economy and it's about having products that people want, meeting their needs and, you know, not over proliferating, staying focused, Mm. right? Because companies like that can actually benefit through a challenging economic time versus others that have a lot of things that are risky in successful times don't have enough power or intellectual power to pivot at the rate you would need to. So mm-hmm. I think it's keeping very tight ship, being really smart about where we focus yep. and constantly measuring and evolving and thinking about new ways that we can delight our customer. Mm-hmm. And I love that you said focus because I think you guys also, I know you focus on really building out hero products. And I know with a lot of, I've interviewed a lot of women and sometimes they launch with so many products and SKUs and I'm like, I don't even know what that would feel like. It's a lot. So I can see the focus and the intention behind everything you guys are launching because, you know, with that brand name, you can easily do a ton of stuff, but you're purposely being intentional about every little thing you're doing. So yes. I mean, look, there's so many different avenues that we could go down, but it's building. It's taking one step after another and being really intentional about what we do, where we go, what we launch, who we speak to. Mm -hmm. Because I always say we can always expand. It's very hard to contract. Yeah. And so I've been on many businesses where it was Overly expanded and, you know, that's where a lot of your cash gets eaten up. You're Mm -hmm. distracting your teams. You're not getting the most out of something where, you know, I always put lemon water in every morning and like you squeeze that lemon, like (laughs) like, get all the juice you can, (laughs) you know, before you get to that next piece of fruit. And it's a delicate dance, right? Because it's very tempting to go after something, but having it with intention, you know, and that's not to say if we think something's big, we're going to go do it. Like, for example, we launched our body line this summer, which was a raging success. And, you know, that made sense, right? Mm -hmm. Like it was a natural progression, but we were very singular in the way that we did. We launched one SKU and now we came out with two more. So being really thoughtful about getting the most out of every step that you take. And, you know, one thing you've mentioned multiple times in this interview, especially with the business, is like how well you guys know the customer and how important that is. So can you tell me more about how you thought about that before officially launching? Because I know you've probably have done this with all the other brands that you've worked with as well. You know, I learned to study the customer when I worked at Procter & Gamble. Like, I was always naturally curious about people and very, like, you know, I would say, like, I'm like an anthropologist. (laughs) But especially, like, working in healthcare, you had to know your customers, like, quirks and where they live. I used to joke we knew, like, so much about our customer and digestive wellness, like, too much, actually. (laughs) But in beauty, especially in, like, luxury beauty, sometimes it's more, like, gut than knowledge, which is a beautiful balance. But for us to deliver and really grow the company as rapidly as we needed to, like we needed to know a ton about our customers. So for me, the elephant in the room is like, wow, you have hundreds of millions of followers. Like, how do we know them? Like, how do we get to to understand their, you know, motivators and detractors? So one of the biggest hires that I had this year was hiring somebody that's really going to understand the customer and then take those insights and infuse into what we create as far as innovation or how we speak to the customer, or what mm-hmm. their consumer journey is. And it was great because we were able to get a very big group of customers, you know, millions of customers and getting those insights and behaviors and really starting to know. And that was very powerful for us as a business right away. Yeah. So it was very important and it really guided a majority of the decisions that we made, whether it was, you know, like I said, innovation or even things like creative. And we have the ability now, even overnight, you know, someone comes up with an idea and I turn to the person that's leading our, you know, consumer efforts, like, I'll test it. Give me 12 hours. I'll yeah. figure it out. Like, I, you know, so it's so powerful for us yeah. that I know how to live without it. But it was definitely intentional as far as a capability build because I knew that that was going to make the difference mm-hmm. to compete against much bigger brands. Yeah. And it has paid out for sure. Yeah. And and were you guys thinking about this before launch as well? Or, or did you see it's like mostly gut and you and Jennifer really understanding the vision of who the customer is? I think there's a good understanding of who the customer is. To me, it was more about like complementing that and Mm -hmm. then understanding, okay, like how do you refine it? Yeah. Right? It's like creating like a dance routine. You knew you wanted like hip hop, but you didn't know like necessarily the beat and the ensemble and, you know, how everything came together. So it's a match between like the data and the gut. Like Mm -hmm. we call it seriously sexy science, like having a little (laughs) bit of, you know, sexiness and then the science and the data to inform and then we go. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's important because, you know, even before I launched launched my product, I thought, okay, it's 
there's so much education involved in it. It's going to be an uphill kind of a product. It'll take a lot of time. Maybe we'll hit the women that are in metropolitan cities who are a little bit more wellness forward. And that was our mentality, right? When we launched, I am shocked just by the amount of women all over the U.S., all different age ranges. So sometimes you you think you know your customer and you'll, and we did test a little bit, but you don't really know until you launch. So I love that you've hired somebody to kind of utilize the insights of your community because sometimes you'll be surprised who your customer is and learn more. And I love your dance routine example. I've never heard it like that. I love yeah. that. It's true. And like, that's where you get the surprises that yeah. turn into business opportunities. For example, we started my Mining through our consumer data and then doing these interviews and meeting all these consumers. And, you know, we realized we're like, oh my God, like a third of our business comes from the Latina. Like, okay. Like, yeah, yeah. sure. You would think like JLo Beauty, of course. But then we were thinking like, okay, why? And where are they? And who are they? And, you know, just getting a better understanding of what your consumer looks like, who they are, where they work. Yeah. What they're doing every day, I mean, it's powerful. And I, I joke, like, I know a lot of our consumers yeah. now. Yeah. I bring them to the office. I'm like, oh, this person, like, I know who they are. And, and you know, my team jokes are like, okay, you're not going to be able to meet every customer. Yeah. But I like spending time with them because that's really where you get the big ideas as you think about serving them mm. in a bigger way. Yeah, I know we were talking about that before the interview, yeah. but it's like what fuels us, right, mm -hmm. in our day-to-day. -day. And sometimes like being behind a computer, but really sitting with your customer and seeing them in person, like that's incredible. I, you know, we haven't done that yet, but we want to start rolling that out this year. But, you know, community, as you mentioned, is so big for you guys. What are some things or how do you think about community for the brand? Yeah, I mean, I think community goes beyond just social following and reaching out to creators and influencers. It's about, you know, giving people a reason to belong. Mm. And for us, it's not only just, you know, sharing great content, but also empowering people, empowering people to earn money, empowering people to learn, get access to certain experts that they wouldn't necessarily yeah. get access to networking and connecting. One of the biggest insights that we had is that our consumer is doing so much, but she's lonely. Yeah. And you know what? She didn't really necessarily resonate with anti-aging. We're about pro-living and doing things better and bigger than you did before. So there's a social aspect, an entertainment aspect that I think is new. And, mm. you know, our consumer wants to have fun and <laughs> feel sexy. So there's this community socially, but then there's also, you know, consideration quite transparently about like, what does that community look like physically, maybe? Mm -hmm. And do we rethink what an experience looks like? So there's so much opportunity Mm -hmm. that, you know, we've just really started to uncover. But our community is the primary focus, right? Because that's the conglomerate of our consumers and our advocates and the people that really want to be part of something bigger. Mm -hmm. And frankly, like our consumer age group doesn't necessarily have a huge community yeah. of support, ironically, mm -hmm. even though they're doing it all, right? So you see all these like-minded yeah. people coming together and it's a really beautiful thing. I love that. And like you said, you know, people want a sense of belonging of other like-minded women. And it's, I love just how much you guys lean into community because I think it's just also really fun. It's like one of my most favorite parts of the business. It's like similar to you. I love people. I love meeting. That's why I love doing this podcast. But understanding like ways that you can continue to support them and then connecting your community together because we're all just like badass, amazing women who yeah. are up to stuff. So that's super fulfilling. So I'm actually curious, who do you think you had to become or what do you think you had to let go of to go from being a corporate beauty executive to now startup founder? Well, I let go of a lot of expensive outfits. Yeah, I know. I miss those actually. No, I gave all mine away. Yeah. All my expense. No, all my dresses and heels like and all corporate that. corporate stuff. Yeah. yeah. I gave it to all my friends and teammates and all that. No, yeah. I mean, I think you had to let go of, I think you had to, well, you had to add more vulnerability mm. and you had to let go of this one way to do something. Yeah. And you had to really kind of, you have to be open to new ways to achieve success mm -hmm. and really embrace the fact that you're in a much riskier situation. And I think for people, it's either really scary or it's really motivating. Like to me, it's really motivating. Mm -hmm. But I think you have to let go of more certainty and be okay with having uncertainty every day. That's yeah. a very hard thing, I think, for certain people. And being open to learn from others. Like I composed our team, our executive team of people from all over, all different industries. I, I could have sourced everybody from beauty. I didn't for a reason because I wanted a cross-pollination of experiences, skill set. I had people that had sold many companies who had IPO'd, who had came from big corporate, who came from tech, who came from nutraceutical, whatever, mm -hmm. but bringing them together and 
pollinating a very, very high performance group, but being able to share those ideas and coming up with new things was important. But, you know, look, I, it took a lot of learning on myself and being vulnerable, like I said, and open. And, you know, not every day you're driving home on sunset, like, oh, whistling out the window. Like some <laughs> days I'm like, oh my God, what happened today? Or, you know, what the hell did I do? Or what, what am I going to do? But most days I would say it's very motivating, but you have to, you have to put yourself in a different mindset. Mm. You're moving much quicker, mm-hmm. higher stakes. Mm-hmm. You're not answering to 800 people in corporate where you move at a glacial pace. Like you're moving. You make a decision, you move. So to me, that's the release I needed. But for other people, I think it could be very uncomfortable. So no one really talks about that, like going from corporate to startups. Like, oh, good for you. Good luck. You know? And it's more like, no, like I had a friend who recently left corporate to go to something more entrepreneurial. And I was like, look, call me anytime. Yeah. She's like, what do you mean? I said, no, no, call me anytime, like 3 a.m. when you can't sleep and you're worried or you don't know who to ask or whatever. I'm like, you can call me because- it is very much, you don't have that camaraderie mm-hmm. necessarily as an owner and a founder. Many people don't relate to it. You know, you can't come home and tell like your sister, you know, or someone else, they're not going to understand, not because they don't want to, so they don't, yeah. they're not living it. So that's why I did join YPO because it was all founders and owners and CEOs that could relate. Mm-hmm. And that was a huge benefit for me. Yeah. But those are the things, the shifts, I would say, from corporate to startup. I would never go back to corporate. Yeah, I know. Once I mean, you're out. No, I mean, no, we talk no. about like plan D and E, like we can go, we can do it. But never say never, right? Yeah. Like <laughs> I would, I would, I would welcome any opportunity. I, I was listening actually to your podcast when you interviewed Allie Webb and oh, yeah. she said, take every call. And I mm. fully agree with that because you never know where your life will take you. So who knows? Like I would maybe, but I love the, I love the experience of running something and having more of a high-risk situation. It's Mm -hmm. much more motivating, much more fun. Yeah. And, you know, what you mentioned really resonates in terms of being a founder. Not everybody understands. And I think it's such a mindset game. You know, it's, you're, especially when you're so passionate about something, I am thinking about the business, like literally all day, every day. And it's, and it's a wonderful thing, but sometimes you need to have breaks and I'm still trying to figure out the balance between like, what do I do? I mean, working out, I'm trying to incorporate that more this year so I can stop thinking about it, but it's, it's hard and it's, it's exhausting. And I think, like you said, finding founders or people who really understand is, is so key. But I was going to ask you like how you've kind of built that, but it seems like you found YPO, which is an organization here and that's been helpful. Yeah. I mean, that's one, you know, YPO global, but you have your chapter and you have your group. I think the other piece that's very humbling has been my son, right? Like he doesn't care I have a meeting. He doesn't care what I'm doing, Yeah. right? Like he, we have basketball at 3.30 that's and he great. wants me to go. Or, you know, he wants me to pay attention to, you know, a drawing he made. So I think that's very humbling and and you don't really have a choice, right? Like he's my first customer. So (laughs) serving that. that. And then I think also being able to, I was saying to my sister last night when I called her on my way home, like scheduling fun. Okay. And that was something I never used to do because why would I permit myself to have fun? I have a corporate job and da, da, da. Now I schedule fun. So I'm going to a friend's birthday party next Thursday and I'm like, great. My good friend should go pick you up. Great. Fun. You know, things like that where I'm forcing myself to like put the phone down and spend three hours meeting new people and having a good time, and it replenishes Mm. you Mm -hmm. to go do the next thing. If you continue to grind, 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 you're not going to be creative. You're not going to be happy. You're not going to be your best self, and you need that, especially in this intensity. You need to like break out a little bit. Yeah. I literally was just having this conversation. We're looking to hire someone, and we were just talking about like how we want to incorporate more fun this year. And it sounds crazy, but when you're just so busy and you're, you know, you're building this business, like I run my life by my schedule, but you have to actually plan it out or else you can easily go like two, three weeks. And what I've realized, I mean, I'm sure a lot of people who've been an entrepreneur for a long time, like it's a, it's a long-term game, right? So it's like, how do you sustain your energy to be the best self and to show up as your best self? And it's like taking those three hours, mm-hmm. taking that hour with your son, you know, like taking these breaks versus in corporate. I didn't do that. And I felt like it actually... Now I feel like when I don't take breaks, it impacts how I show up and it actually impacts the business success. In corporate, I would go, go, go. And I didn't feel that there. I felt like I still was able to perform. So do you feel that as well? Yeah. I mean, I think allowing yourself, like the great part about owning a company and running a company is like, you can kind of set your schedule. Like no one's behind you like, hey, this person put a meeting and you know, you have to, 
you can kind of set your schedule, but it's also, you know, that's the downfall because your yeah. schedule is like this <laughs> seven day a week, 24 seven, like, oh, let me take this call. Let me meet this. So it, it takes more like self-control. Yeah. But I think it's also like giving yourself the permission to shut off for a minute. Yeah. Right. And that's very hard to do. And shutting off because, you know, you're running and thinking and it's all these positive things, but you get to a point where you you have to sleep. You have to laugh. You have to <laughs> yeah, you're drink. You, have to, <laughs> you know, you have to do things. And that's where, you know, again, like you have to have that discipline. Yeah. And dis- motivation, everyone has motivation, but like the discipline of doing it every day and carving out those pleasurable moments so that you can give more to the people that work with you and for you that they deserve that. Like they deserve my best. My exactly. son deserves my best. My husband, but I I deserve my best. Yeah. And it takes a long time to learn that lesson. The earlier you can do that, the better. Yes. Ugh. And when did you learn that lesson? Oh, like this year. This year. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, it's so hard. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm learning. I'm still a work in progress. And what I'm realizing is like, I am probably the most self-critical person to myself. Like, like you said, when you shut off working, like I have that voice in my head that's like, no, you just, just do it. Like I can push myself probably like a little too much where I've had very unhealthy burnout, many burnout experiences. So I kind of know my personality. But yeah, like taking the discipline to just stop and giving yourself that permission to like laugh and have fun. I mean, it sounds crazy, but it's so important to do. And the earlier earlier you can incorporate in your life, it's just amazing. And we have this like one life, like why not enjoy it throughout the process? You know, I fully agree. And my husband, I'm so lucky to have him because he's like the opposite of me. Like he finds joy in everything. And he's (laughs) like the happiest person I know. My son's like that too. Thank God. (laughs) He's very like, very happy at all times and always has joy. Like, and so that's kind of contagious when you're with somebody like that. You're like, oh, maybe I should do some of that, Yeah, you know? Yeah, so totally. it's good. Like, I think it's hard when you're with somebody that's the same way as you that like, you're like, oh God, like, you know, and it's kind of like a race. Yeah. And so having someone that compliments you and then also supports what you're doing is huge. Like, I don't know how people do this without the support of their family. Yeah. Right. Like, I'm the, sure. The support of like everybody to make things happen. Like, there's no way. I don't know how they do it. They and don't. I- yeah. Yeah. I mean, I talk about this all the time. Like, You have a, a young son, mm-hmm. right? I mean, I'm sh- is your how involved is your husband in the day-to-day of... We're a team, right? Yeah. Like I take my son to school, he'll pick him up. We're reminding each other, oh, there's basketball, there's this, there's that. Yeah. But, you know, you make it a priority. You make it work. And I think a lot of people also probably listening are like, well, how do you, how do, you do it all? How do you, you know, you make it work. Yeah. You say no to things. You find a way to schedule it. You know, I think... I think that's really important too. Like life goes on. No one really cares. Yeah, yes. Like you, you think like you're going to offend people and you're, you're not going to be everything to everyone. Sorry. That's yeah. what you're getting. Yeah. Sorry, not sorry. Like we have a saying in our company, like nobody says sorry. I love that. And especially as women. They're like, oh, sorry. Can I say something? Yeah. I'm like, why are you saying sorry? Just say it. Yeah. Like, so there's a little bit of like not asking for permission and just doing it. And once you kind of get that confidence of like balancing and kind of getting your groove, I think yeah. it makes it easier. Yeah, I love that. And I think- you know, we, we don't have kids yet, but one thing I think about, we're, you know, I just launched this business. We are seeing, knock on wood, just so much momentum. You know, we're thinking about having a family yeah. at some point in the future. And I think about like, what does that look like? You know, obviously your body just goes through a lot. Like I have all my friends have had kids, you know, maybe there'll be like a few months where you're feeling a little different. And then I'm like, and I sometimes I get a little nervous because I'm like, I'm just so passionate about this business. Like I don't want to stop. But then you realize like in the long term of things, one month, two months, three months where you're not going like 150%, it's okay. Like, and we've had some times where, you know, certain team members we didn't have involved and my co-founder had a a baby and it was just me when we just had launched with some help. And we actually like ended up doing much better. So sometimes you don't even realize, like, it's not really the work that you do every day. And also it's more of a long-term thing of how you're building the business. But yeah, like you said, no one's really, no one's really thinking about you or caring and one month here, two months there, like this, no, that, no, it doesn't really matter. <laughs> I mean, I think I think one of the best stories I could tell you is I found out I wasn't even trying to get pregnant. Right? I didn't really wasn't even paying attention. I found out I was pregnant when I was first got my job running Estee Lauder in North America, which was like wow. such a big job. And I was like, oh, and I like hid my pregnancy. I remember this for like five months because I was afraid to tell anybody. That's yeah, interesting. And yeah. I'm like, and I finally said, you know, told everybody and they were like, okay. Yeah. Like it's not a big deal. <laughs> <laughs> like, what am I like, you know, 
And I realized that I was making such a big deal about it and it was fine. And it was actually the best thing that ever happened in my life. Mm. So I don't know. Like I always tell people like just embrace it. Yeah. You'll figure it out. You're smart and like you you figure it out and like you get a network and your group of people that like get it. Like all my friends are working moms. Yeah, totally. Everyone gets it. Yeah. You know, and you make it work. Yeah. And that's what's the beauty about women. Like we're not – no offense to men, but like we're very resilient. We're very like multitaskers and like we get it done. Yeah. Yeah. So – I love that. No offense. To yeah, me. no, Patrick. Sorry, Patrick. <laughs> Our video ed- video yeah. editor over here, the only man in the room. Sorry. No, but it's it's incredible. I mean, I think all the women that have been on the podcast, like everybody has families, everybody has big lives, and it's just very inspiring to see. And like you mentioned, having that community around you who gets it is pivotal. Mm-hmm. And if somebody doesn't get it, then it's just not your tribe, and that's okay, and they can do their own thing. But I'd love to kind of I could talk to you for hours, but Likewise. I'd love to kind of end this podcast and get your thoughts around. You know, if there's somebody who's listening who feels like it's too late for them to kind of redefine themselves or their career. What words of wisdom do you have for them? It's never too late. And that's what makes life exciting is that making different choices and making different steps regardless of where you are in your life cycle. And I always tell people like, if you want to do something, do it. Like I always tell my team, like, if we don't do this, it's our fault because we didn't think big enough or push hard enough. And I believe that. And I think too often people are pushed into situations that they didn't anticipate, whether there's a restructure in a corporation or an unanticipated personal change. Mm-hmm. Like you're the you're the manager of your, your, your career. You can manage your own destiny to an extent. Obviously, there's other factors, but go for it. And what's the worst? I always think about this. Like, what's the worst that can happen? Mm-hmm. You fail. Okay. You'll probably learn a lot about yourself and you'll move on. And no one cares. No one cares. <laughs> That's the key. That's the no key learning out of this. No one cares. <laughs> You know, and it, and the only person that cares is you yeah. and what would happen if you don't do it. So I think my life would be very different if I didn't make that change. And I'm proud of myself that I've done it, but I've also been able to gain a lot more out of my own self-worth, mm. which I think I'll take with me forever. So I just, I suggest to people like, go do it. And there's more people that do it that feel the same way that you do than you think. Yeah. So don't be afraid to be vulnerable either and be honest with yourself. That's true. Oh my gosh, Lisa. Well, it was such a pleasure having you, you on. It was Thank my you. pleasure. We got to do like part two, part three, part four. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. This was fun. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Behind Her Empire. If you enjoyed this conversation, it would mean the world to me if you would consider leaving a review or even sharing this episode with someone who might be inspired to create their own empire. To stay updated on new episodes or join our private community, visit BehindHerEmpire.com to sign up. We send inspiring and short emails every week to your inbox. I'll see you next week. And until then, remember, you're always in charge of your own destiny, and it's never too late to start your own empire. 